0: Okay. We'll go ahead and get started in our class. Our class of course says Hesed, sometimes translated mercy, sometimes translated loving kindness, uh kindnesses. Uh the word Hesed of course is translated many different ways. So at the beginning of our class, uh doesn't look like it, does it? Supposed to be. Let me try it again. Okay, since we're recording, we'll go ahead and get started back in our class. Remember, we're talking about the concept of Hesed, and Hesed again has been translated many different ways. Uh, at least in English translation, is translate loving kindness. It's translated as kindness itself. It's translated as mercy, uh, many different ways. So in our class, the first thing I think that we should do is to de- define this uh, this word Hesed uh, that generally gets translated loving kindness. And as many of you know, that our Basic text is going to be that uh, comes from the one of the, what they call the minor prophets, even though he's not necessarily minor. Just means he didn't write very much, uh, and that's the book of Micah. So let's go ahead and define what Hesed really is. So the first place we're going to look at a definition is in Mor or the Guide for Perplexed, by Rabbi Moshe Ben Mamon, commonly known as Rambam. Uh, Greek name, Maimonides, and we want to look in Book 3 and also in Chapter 53. That's Book 3, Chapter 53. For those have the book, you can look at it with me. For those that don't, maybe you can look at it later. Uh, If you don't have the book, Morin de or the Guide for Perplex, you can actually go to, I think it's sacredtext.org, I think, or it might be .com, one or the other, and you can find it there. Uh Ray also has it of course on his on his cell. So you can look at it there also. Uh you might wanna uh if you don't have one, I would suggest that you actually purchase one for your own uh spiritual growth. Um, it's meant a lot to me over the years and I've learned so much from it. And and by the way, or it, I am continuing to learn from it. So let's look at the way Rambam actually uh defines what Hesed is. So it's like I said very toward the end of the book, book 3 and chapter 53. He says this chapter treats the meaning of three terms which we find necessary to explain. Hesed, which he of course translates here as loving kindnesses. Uh, The next word is mishpat, which is judgment. And, of course, the doc of which gets translated, most English translation, as righteousness. Now, he comments about his commentary on the sayings of the fathers. And I would suggest maybe, if you don't have a copy of that, that you would also find that. Uh, which would be really nice for you to go through. Maybe read one saying of the fathers, reflect on it during that day. But, in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, We've already explained the expression hesed as denoting an excess in some moral quality now you really have to stop and think about this because his definition is not necessarily what people think about sometimes but he's saying that Hesit denotes an excess in some moral quality okay it is especially used of extraordinary kindness loving-kindness is practice in two ways. Remember this is Rambam. He says first we show kindness to those who have no claim whatsoever upon us. In other words, uh, complete strangers. Uh, These people have no claim upon us whatsoever. Uh, This is somebody that you uh, demonstrate an act of kindness to that uh, has no claim whatsoever upon us. He says secondly, we are kind to those to whom it is due in a greater measure than is due to them. Okay? So, there's two different understandings, at least according to Rambam, about the idea and the concept of Hesed. Let's state them once again. First, we show kindness to those who have no claim whatsoever upon us. In other words, maybe completely strangers, they're not part of our family, they're not part of our inner circle of friends. Uh, Secondly, we are kind to those whom it is due, but for those that it is due, he goes on to say, in a greater measure than is due to them. Now, the inspired writings, he says, the term hesit occurs mostly in the sense of showing kindness to those who have no claim to it whatsoever, And, and we'll define that very shortly, by the way. He says, for this reason, the term hesed is employed to express the good bestowed upon us by God. So when we think about creation, uh, we should think about, uh, we can say, well, uh, how did God create the world? We are told in Isaiah chapter 50, excuse me, chapter 63 and verse 7, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. He says, on this account the very act of creation is act of God's loving kindness. In other words, based on the text from Isaiah, Maumontes is informing us that the very act of creation is an act of God's loving kindness. Again, he writes to us, he's uh, actually quoting from the book of Psalms, uh, book of Tehillim, and he tells us in Tehillim, Uh, 59.3 says, I have said the universe is built up in loving-kindness. That is, according to Rambam, the way we should understand that is, the building up of the universe is an act of loving-kindness. Also, he says, the enumeration of God's attributes, as Scripture says, and this, of course, is found in the book of Shemot, uh, chapter 34 and verse 6. He says that the enumeration of God's attributes, Scripture says, "an abundant in loving-kindness. Now, he goes on, by the way, to discuss the other two terms, uh, which is Zadaka, which comes from the word Zedek, which is, we usually translate righteousness. But Zadaka, or being a Zedek, a righteous person that does Zadaka, he says that denotes the act of giving everyone his due and of showing kindness to everyone according as it deserves. Now, the reason I wanted to go through all these words is simply so that we can understand it in a positive sense. And then we can juxtapose it uh, to the the idea of Zadaka. I think some people get very confused about what is Hesed and what is Zadaka. So we need to balance both of these off to find out exactly which one is which. Uh, As we read through the text, somebody does an act of Zadaka, what is that? While on the other hand, if somebody performs an act of hesed, then we need to understand what is being performed, to whom it is performed, and and how one performs these acts. Okay. Now, I believe Adam has a question, so I'm going to refer to him.
1: Jack, you um, you talk about tzedakah, and I was just curious. Um, you 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 briefly mentioned it. Um. I understand that a lot of people translate sedaka as charity, but there is, there's a there's a difference in these two terms, isn't there? And how does that play into the overall theme of what we're talking about? Or Are you going to get to that in a second?
0: Uh, yes, uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons I want to mention both all three of these terms, and, and of course, there's another reason I want to mention all three of these terms, and and there's a and there's a reason why, if you look in Mordecai that Rambam dedicates one chapter to these three words, but it's, it's a preliminary uh, idea for him to take these three words and define them very specifically because he's going to do something else with them later on. And, and by the way, we want to look and see what he does later on, so it, it would be advantageous to us to understand uh, these three words as he points them out. So let's take the, word, the term Zadaka, uh, which usually gets translated uh, charity, or sometimes it gets translated uh, excuse me as righteousness, and let's look at what uh, Rambam has to say about this word. He says the term zadak is is derived from Zadik or Zadik. you know we we know what a zotic is for zodik is a righteous man, sometimes the question becomes why is he righteous uh, because he does zadaka. In other words, he performs righteous acts. It's not just charity. And this is what Rambam says. He said it denotes the act of giving everyone his due and of showing kindness to everyone accordingly as it deserves. Now, I think if you take the the two concepts or at least the two ideas that he's presented here, and do a comparative analysis of that of Hesed and Zadaka, all of a sudden you find that there is a a huge difference. Okay? We'll get to that one too. (laughs) Uh, Now, we want to get down to the next term here in just a minute, but let's go back and look how Rambam understands this word and from what text he understands the two ideas that he's presented to us. Now, the first idea is the act of giving everyone his due, right, that's one, and then number two, of showing kindness to every being accordingly as it deserves, okay? In scripture, however, the expression Zadaka is not used in the first sense and does not apply to the payment of what we owe to others. When we therefore give the hired labor his wages or pay a debt, we do not perform an act of zadakah. But we do perform an act of zedakah when we fulfill those duties toward our fellow men which our moral consciousness imposes upon us. Namely, when we heal the wounded uh, wound of the sufferer, the scripture says in reference to the returning of the pledge to the poor debtor, and it shall be zedakah, righteousness unto thee, that's in Deverem chapter 24 and verse 11. When we walk in the way of virtue, we act righteously toward our intellectual faculty and pay what is due unto it. And because every virtue is thus tzedakah, Scripture applies a term to the virtue of faith in God. For example, in Genesis fifteen six, and he says that he believed in the Lord and he accounted unto him as, a, as righteousness or as tzedakah. And we find later on in the book of Deverim, chapter 6 and verse 25, and it shall be our righteousness. Okay? So it's not just giving charity. Uh, Does that make us uh, at least a little bit clearer, Adam? It's not just giving charity, but it's actually called acts of righteousness. Uh, And we we can see these acts of righteousness being um, performed in many different ways, by the way. Okay, now let's go to the noun mishpat. Mishpat usually gets translated as justice or judgment. Now, let's take Ron Baum's definition here. He says that mishpat or judgment denotes the act of deciding upon a certain action in accordance with justice, which may demand either mercy or punishment. That's your question, Adam. Uh, being a just person is a person that goes through the act of deciding upon a certain action in accordance with justice, which may demand, it's according to the case, it may demand either mercy or punishment. That is the real definition of what it means to be just. If we're going to be just in our dealings with our fellow human beings, how would we understand this text? What if we are? Uh, what if, for example, uh, let's say, for example, that you were a judge, and let me give you a, a wonderful case that's uh, uh, well, maybe not that one. Let's just, let's just maybe stick with what Rombalm says here, okay? So the act of judging or deciding based on, a, on, on some uh, certain action in accordance with justice, and we have to decide, and, and by the way, this is based on every uh, single circumstance that comes into existence before us. We have to determine, based on our knowledge, we have to determine how do we react. Do we react with mercy? or do we react with punishment? That is justice, and that is being a just person. Okay? Now, the only way, that, by the way, that we're going to learn how to act that way, uh, which we'll get into just a little bit later, because we want to define what does it really mean, uh, what does Hesed really mean, and then juxtapose these other two ideas against it, so we can have a clear concept of what is Hesed. So, if mishpot Means that we are judging, and we are basing our decisions upon a certain actions with 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 an accordance of justice, whether or not we either act with the idea and the concept of mercy or punishment. While Zadaka is not only just handing out money, and and sometimes it's just translated charity, which is, I think, a, a severe fault. Many times, of course, it translated righteousness, but now we begin to understand what righteousness is. But he tells us it knows the act of giving everyone of its due and of showing kindness to everyone according as it deserves. In other words, we're just acting how? We're acting righteously toward that person. But it is based on the fact that he is either due something, right? He's given in accordance to his due or as he deserves it. Now, Hesed, on the other hand, we looked at Rambam's definition of Hesed, and as he explains to us that, first of all, it is an expression that denotes an access and some moral quality. It is especially used of extraordinary kindness, and we're going to look at many of those places, by the way, and by the way, let me just share with you, there's a book that I'd like to maybe bring to your attention Uh, and if Ray hears this I hope maybe he can get this in his uh, in his bookstore Uh, I'm pretty sure he can because I'm I'm thinking this comes from Felheim Uh, but it's called a portion of kindness by Roslyn uh, Saltzman Uh, it's just a weekly portion of Hesed so uh, what she has done she's gone through the weekly portions and she's pulled out specific instances where you can find acts of hesed being done so it's interesting, I mean you can uh, go through the book uh, as you study through the weekly portions and maybe if you don't really see uh, hesed being performed in that weekly portion maybe you can pick this book up and she'll help you see that Uh, and, and kind of train your mind to see these acts of hesed throughout the context of the Torah okay now. Is everyone clear as to the definition of these three words? hesed, Mishpat, and Tzedakah. And as especially juxtaposed to each other. So you got the idea of what's being just and righteous, right Adam? Okay. Okay. And that makes sense, right? It's got to be reasonable. Remember the Torah is reasonable. And these ideas from the Torah must make sense to you, so it's reasonable, okay? If it don't make sense, then it's not it's not Torah. I mean, it's got to be a reasonable uh, and some kind of rational logic to it, so it's something reasonable. Now, let's take this idea of, since we kind of define what it is, then the next question should be, who is obligated? Now, notice I use the term Obligated. <laughs> uh, sometimes people uh, might say, "Well, what's what's really the difference between being commanded and being obligated?" Uh, do you, do you kind of understand that idea? Uh, and, and let me ask you, maybe you can answer if you choose to. What is the difference between being obligated and being commanded?
1: Well, it seems to me that you can, that if you're commanded, you're, you're by default obligated. So, I mean, if, I mean, you're, you're obligated to fulfill the command. If you're, uh, however, there are times when you have an obligation, although you may not be directly, uh, commanded, such as if you have a family, although there's no, uh, command for you to take care of your kids and, 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 and to have a, uh, loving relationship with your wife and to support her and, and yada yada. Um, even though that's not there, it's still there is an obligation there to take care of your children, to take care of your wife, and to strive for har- harmony in the home.
0: Okay, so there is, I would say, a significant or a, maybe maybe an insignificant uh, difference between obligation and, and command. Uh, obligation I would say sometimes is something maybe that we take up on ourselves freely as opposed to being commanded would you say that's a good definition Okay. Uh, sometimes <laughs> okay let's say uh, uh, that we gain a certain amount of knowledge about something and gain a certain amount of knowledge about About a certain thing, uh, we automatically find that uh, because of our knowledge of a certain idea, then we find that we might become obligated. Like you said about families, for example, do we have an obligation to uh, to our families to keep it healthy and peaceful and harmonious at home? Not really. I mean, there's certain kind of commands that go along with it, but but we learn that we're kind of obligated to that rather than being commanded. So obligation sometimes is because we gain knowledge in certain fields, and the more knowledge that we have, then we should feel, and, I, and I'm saying feel, uh, probably not such a good word, but best I can do it this time, uh, that we should feel a greater obligation. How about that?
1: Now, what you're talking about, um not to say that commandments are not moral but it sounds like what you're saying is that um when you gain a certain knowledge then the then i guess you could say you're obligated from a standpoint of morality or ethics as you gain a knowledge is, is this kind of something that you're talking about here or would you say that, that there's more to it than even that
0: well i think we're you're, you're heading in the right direction Uh, but I think there's a little bit more to it than that Uh, let's just go to the next text that I'd like to share with you and it's in the book The Duties of the Heart by Rabbi Bacchaya and it's in the third gate it's talking about serving God and we want to go to chapter 6 and if you have the Hebrew English translation uh, I think this this is also Felheim publisher, and this is also, of course, in the uh, No bookstore ray he runs. And in chapter 6, he begins to talk about obligation, and it's obligation of service. <laughs> okay, well, if you don't have a copy, I, I, I'll read it to you. Now, he first starts out, and, and the way the conversation is in this book, and the, at least in this section, it's a discussion, and ant- a question and answer discussion that is going on between the soul and the mind. Okay. Now, first of all, we have the soul uh, asking a question. Actually, he's asking a little bit more than just one question, but uh, we'll deal specifically with one, and then maybe later on, maybe we'll deal with the other one. But in chapter 6, the heading is, he says, A person's obligation of service corresponds to the decree of favor bestowed upon him. Okay, let me read that once more to you. A person's obligation of service corresponds to the degree of favor bestowed upon him. Okay? Now, the soul says, I have understood what you have said. Now, of course, he's talking about what he's said about previously, and we're not going to actually go back that far because this section is what we really want to key in on. I have understood what you have said, and your explanation is sufficient. Now explain to me the various ways in which I am under an obligation of increased service to God. May he be exalted. Now the previous section is just talking about uh, how, what can I do uh, to serve God. And now the answer comes. People come under an obligation of increased service according to the favor, general and particular, bestowed upon them. Now he goes on to say that favor is bestowed upon human beings in four ways. In other words, our obligation to the service of God is based on our recognition of the degree of favor that he has extended to us. Would you say that's uh, an honest statement or a truthful statement? Okay. So if we agree that that's a, a truthful statement, in fact, it's a very logical statement, not just truthful, but logical. Okay. And we want to deal with that just in a few minutes, too. Maybe we might not have time uh, to get all this in because this is basically uh, just the, the setting up <laughs> of our study on Hesed. It is the groundwork, the groundswell of it, I would say, because, first of all, we wanted to define what Hesed was, and I think we've done that in not only telling us at least what Hesed is based on what we can find in the text, based on Rambon's explanation of it, but also based on the fact that we can actually juxtapose it from other ideas that might seemingly sound like it but are not so we understood what Zadaka is we've also understood what mishpat is and, and I hope you never forget what mishpat is because that is one of the whole keys of you being able to make a judgment but the judgment must be made based on the circumstances And either you will judge or you will extend, through that judgment, either mercy or punishment. And you have to know which one to do it with. So it's very important. Okay? Now, it goes on to say, Favor is bestowed upon human beings in four ways. The first is the goodness of the Creator, which embraces all of mankind. Let me say this once again. (laughs) the first is the goodness of the creator which embraces all of mankind now he doesn't say that embraces the Jewish people or the people of Israel the first is the form of favor that extends from the hand of God and it is extended to all mankind okay what is that he brought them into existence when previously They did not exist. Okay? Now, if someone were to ask you, what is the greatest Hesed that God has performed, what would your answer be? Okay? Let's get really personal now. See, creating us is kind of a a deferring way, right? Exactly, creating me because it has to be that personal thing that I will say that I am a created being, right? Of course, now He created all of us, we know that, but now the reason I want to say this is because we're talking about recognizing the favor of God as an individual, not just as a collective whole, but as an individual. So the moment that I say, what is the greatest act of hesed? I should say, He created me. I'm alive. I exist. Okay? Okay, Adam. What
1: about a person who... Would uh, who would say, yeah, he created me, but uh, um, in a in a war torn land where uh, um, people are dying constantly and there's death and there's suffering and and so on and so forth. I mean, would would, he, would that kind of person would they should they still feel that God uh, performed an act of hessage for them?
0: absolutely now I'm trying to answer the question about the obligation but I also want to answer the question why should we fill that obligation and 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 by the way Adam, that would mean in any situation that we must fill that obligation whether it was in a a third world you know like you said a a war torn country where there was disease and death and dying uh, it doesn't make any difference. Now, of course, now being in those conditions, maybe it might even make a really significant difference that uh, you might it might understand that favor in a much different way. But the point is that you realize that you're created, and you realize that this is an extension of Hesed to you. Now, I said I also want to deal with the fact not only how we understand uh this concept of obligation. What is our obligation toward Hesed is really the question. How do we determine our obligation? But then how do we derive or how do we how do we understand this obligation? Where does it come from? That's really the next question that I want to deal with. So we've defined it and now we're just looking at okay, how do I how do I understand this, this, this concept of, of Hesed? Is there an obligation for me, for hesed? Okay? Now, so the first thing that he tells us that the first act of kindness of God is that he brought everything into existence, whereas previously they did not exist. He goes on to say he gives them life, and he favors them with all that we have spoken of in the second gate of this book. Now, you have to go back to the second gate if you have the book and look at it and see what he's talking about but he says they are they are accordingly and look at this Adam I know you don't have your book but I hope you you get a chance to look at it later on but he says uh, they are accordingly under a universal obligation of service to the Creator may be exalted so all of a sudden we're under an obligation why because God the Creator has performed hesed for us if we recognize that has it, if we recognize that we are created and that this, this kindness has been extended to us by the Creator, we automatically are under a universal obligation. okay? Now, what does this universal obligation uh, do for us? <laughs> uh, that's not really the question I want to ask, but the universal obligation. What should it make known to us, I guess is another way of saying it. Okay? Or what does it consist of? Maybe it's another way of asking the question. Okay. Now he says, What is this obligation? What is this universal obligation? Okay, you got a question, Adam? Okay. I saw you writing. I thought you had a question. Okay. Uh, once we recognize that there's a universal obligation of service to the Creator, how do, I guess, basically, how do we manifest this obligation? How do we demonstrate that we understand that we are under an obligation? I guess maybe is the best question. So Rabbi Bakaya goes on. He says, this this obligation... It consists of obedience to all the commandments called for. Now notice this. It's very interesting, by the way. This consists of obedience to all the commandments called for by the intellect, which are observed by Adam, Hanok, Noach, and his sons, and Eov, and his friends, up to the day of Moshi, our master. Peace be upon him. Now, listen to what he says in the very next paragraph. Whoever adheres to all these for the sake of God's service. Now, remember, all these commandments are commandments that can be understood from the intellect. I thought there were just seven. Rabbi Bacchalia says, all of a sudden, this consists of obedience to all the commandments called for by the intellect. You got a question, Adam?
1: So, okay. Um, now how are we talking... How are we, How do we mean the intellect? Um, I mean, for example, there are certain secular ethics that exist. Um, are those reflected in this um, although we might say that for example let's say you have a a secular ethic um, that makes sense in that society to abort children what's the I guess I'm trying to figure out um, what's the difference what are you really saying here
0: okay Uh, no we're not saying that anything within society Uh, I think uh as we progress by the, by the way uh, you'll you'll understand a little bit more what he's saying here I uh, don't wanna kinda of give it away because it's really the objective of my neck of at least my next question and the answer that I'll give to it but up to this point uh... he's talking about all the uh... commandments that are called for by the intellect okay in other words they can be arrived at through intelligence uh and and I am God will I'm going to give you some examples next week uh actually from uh, a couple of examples from the tractate sanhedrin uh, but also I want to give you some examples from uh morenaquum the guy for the for the perplex of how we can arrive at certain things and ideas and and, and we learned this by the way from Abraham which is his next example <laughs> okay now he says whoever adheres to all these for the sake of God's service God will so upon him favors beyond those enjoyed by other people and will raise him to a higher level in this world and give him great reward in the world to come as with Abraham Do you see the example here Avraham the Gentile rather than Avraham the Jew, because now he's lumped in, right? Now you now you are you kind of catching the idea here now? Okay. You know where I'm headed. <laughs> At least maybe you have an idea where I'm headed now, right? Okay. Now so he tells us that if we would adhere to these, right, for the sake of God's service, God will bestow upon favors beyond those enjoyed by other people and raise him to a higher level in this world and give him great reward in the world to come, as with Avraham, to whom God said, Do not fear, Avram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. And of course, that's a quote from Brashik. Uh, 15 and verse 1. Now just the opposite, by the way, is, is true of those who rebel against God and despite his favors. Because he goes on to say, whoever rebels against God despite his favors will fall from the, deg- from the degree of rational beings and their virtues to the low level of an irrational creature. In this world he will share the fate of the beast as it is written, God's enemies will be consumed like the glory of the pastures. They will be consumed in smoke. That's in Tehillim 37.20. And in the next world, he will suffer the worst possible evil, as it is written. As to your spirit, fire will consume you. Yeshayahu uh, or Isaiah, 33 and verse 11. Okay. Now, he goes on, by the way, to, uh, from general favor. To that of particular favor and, and there are people of course the people of Israel not only are they are wrapped up in the universal favor of God and because of that they have an obligation because of the universal favor but because he has singled them out as a nation, they also have received the particular favor of God and because they received the particular favor of God, guess. What happens you want to guess Adam? <laughs> guess what happens you know when when the people of Israel talk about being chosen, for example, I know most people think uh, well, they think they're so good you know because God chose them now most of the people of Israel I know the the Jewish people. When they understand chosen, they understand it in a sense of of what Adam Joseph <laughs> Herbert. How about responsibility? Okay, uh, they realize that that chosenness automatically brings about a greater level of what a greater level of obligation okay so the world in general and all of humanity has a universal obligation okay that's general but when god particularly chose out the people of israel to be a, a a peculiar nation a nation that would eventually uh, become uh, a priest for the rest of the world they would be a noah fan you know they're They're a Noite family that was chosen out, and they would eventually become uh, the priesthood to the rest of the Noite uh, world, Uh, and because they were singled out, all of a sudden, if God extends to you specific favor, then you become under a greater obligation. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's universal obligation, Okay which all of humanity is under this universal obligation. And secondly, there are other groups of people that are under particular favor of God, and because they are, they have a, a, a greater obligation uh, to the Creator. Okay? Now remember, uh the obligation, as Adam has said, brings about this response, and the response is Obedience to all the commandments, right? You got a point you'll make, Adam.
1: Let's take a person who makes a Nazarite vow. Then he's got he uh, he takes on a temporary, uh, additional level of obligation, but not a permanent level of extra obligation. What? How do, I mean? I don't know. Does that could could you view that in a in terms for even uh, non-Jews as well?
0: I think the the one thing about the Nazarite vow which is a pretty lengthy discussion with itself so maybe let me kind of sum it up this way uh, I think we all know at the end of a Nazarite vow that uh, when the temple is down, you actually had to bring a a sin offering that's why a Nazarite vow cannot be implemented today because there's no temple to bring a sin offering at the end of it but the reality is it seems to me and this is Jack Saunders speaking, you know, from just basically what I've studied and gleaned from the texts and from rabbinical sources, and and I may be completely wrong, uh, but it seems to me that God allowed the Nazarite vow to be taken because people sometimes feel just a little bit more religious, or they want to feel a little bit more religious. And so this is a way of expending that, that feeling of being a little bit more religious. But it's not exactly what God asked a person to do. He's not He's not imposing those laws. This is something that you can take upon yourself for a period of time, a very short period of time. Now we do have cases of uh, at least a, a couple of guys in the text of the Tanakh that were born into the world this way. In other words, they were that God imposed this Nazarite vow upon them from the very beginning for example we know uh, Samson came into this world with the Nazar the vow the Nazarite already imposed upon him Uh, in fact his his mother before Samson was born was uh, uh, under that under that same idea but it seems to me that what we do understand is that God asks certain things of people and And we should be happy just to fall within those lines, but there's times maybe we just want to feel a little bit more religious, so uh maybe God gave us a way that we could actually act that out at that given point in time, and we might feel like we've accomplished a little bit more, but the reality is it seems at the end of it because we have to bring a sin offering, um uh, maybe we haven't accomplished as much as as we'd like to think. in fact, maybe we've actually went in the reverse, okay now, hopefully. Uh, I don't know if i answered your question or not, but at least it's my, my way of kind of understanding it. Uh, now, so we've defined what Hesed is, at least from Rambam's perspective and from the perspective of Tanakh, by the way, not just Rambam. And we've also juxtaposed that concept Hesed uh, against the idea of Of Zadaka which we we translate as righteousness or charity and and Mishpatim and I think the the idea of Mishpatim has been greatly misunderstood but if you take Rambam's definition of Mishpatim I think you can't go wrong with it Mishpatim is someone that possesses the quality of making certain decisions and judgments uh, based on individual circumstances whether or not he, uh, extends mercy or he extends punishment. And that's the real good idea of, of being just, someone that's just. Uh, and that's Mishpatim. Okay. Now, uh, and then we've, I think, we have pointed out that all of humanity is under a certain obligation. And that obligation, because we have an obligation because God has extended Hesed to us we have recognized God's favor and recognized that Hesed that he's extended to us simply because we are we we were created we exist where he gave us life he didn't have to but he did and because of that now we're under an obligation of serving God and that obligation consists of keeping all the commandments which one can how how can you arrive at the commandments? Now you notice the first person that he starts out with is who? In that text. Remember Adam? The text that is read to you? Uh no. Yeah, Adam. There you go. You should remember it's your name. <laughs> okay. Adam, Enoch, who else? <laughs> Uh, Noach, right? Who else? Shem, right? Okay. And, and finally, by the way, he goes all the way up to Moshe Ribino, right? So he extends that, and then eventually we get to Avraham himself. Uh, so did these guys get all this information from Revelation? Did they get their commandments from Revelation? In other words, I guess the real question is, How did Adam arrive at the concept that he should observe seven laws? Where did those come from? Are we sure it's revelation? Now we know, by the way, from the sages, you know, that they hooked the seven laws on what? you pretty sure, <laughs> okay? They hooked the seven laws on Genesis chapter two, verses what, seventeen and eighteen. But that's just a hook, is it not? In other words, they have an oral tradition, and the oral tradition is that every you know all of humanity was given seven laws, and then they chose a place where they could hook those that idea of the seven laws so that. It, you could always have a way of remembrance is that not correct uh, well I don't know if that's true I think that's basically true for uh, the people of Israel I know that's true that you have to have a a warning so that uh, you not be punished but even our law by the way if you're driving down the street and you didn't see the speed limit sign change and the the policeman patrolman pulls you over and says you were speeding you think gee no I wasn't and he said yes you was because this is a thirty five mile speed zone you were doing fifty five uh... can he write you a ticket you're pleading ignorance of the law can he still write you a ticket yes he can now this is based on remember individual circumstance so he gets to exercise his own what? <laughs> his own mishpatim okay let me let me finish now well we're not going to have too much time so we'll have to take this up next week uh... but he gets to exercise his own mishpatim in other words now based on the circumstances he's, he's either going to extend mercy to you hesed which means he's not going to give you a ticket or he's going to punish you <laughs> And he's gonna ride you a ticket. Okay. Hang on just a minute, and I'll give you the last uh, couple minutes here.
1: Well, I just want to say that um although you you are right that a Gentile is not necessarily uh has to be warned, like in a court of law, but we do understand though that that um I think two things. One that and noahide um, is not is not um, punished for anything that they they were not aware that they were breaking the law. so let's say, for example, you sleep with a man's wife, but in ignorance, you think that the woman is single or that she's your own wife and you have relations with her well you would not you would not be punished by a a noahide court of law in that scenario. Now, you would be punished. If you said, "Well, there's no, there is no such thing as a prohibition on adultery. I can, I can sleep with whoever, whoever I, I want to," well, that's not an acceptable defense. That, that I would agree with. Um, but it seems like we also need to, secondly, that we would also need to, to be warned to be, to begin with. For example, take the the prohibition against Erev Mitzvahai, which you could not arrive at through the intellect. So it seems like in, in, in blasphemy would be something where you would have to know the name of God in order to blaspheme. So it seems like that there's that, you know, you you, you uh you do have to have revelation for some of this.
0: Okay. Well we can deal with that, and I'm certainly not gonna be able to deal with it in this class, uh, you know, because we're running short on time already. Uh but what I wanted to say was that uh we're gonna look at the Talmud and we're gonna find out there's Many different ideas, you know. Basically, we know there were seven laws that were eventually given. This we know. But in the beginning, Rabbi Yehuda in Sanhedrin 56b, I believe it is, he says that originally Adam was only given one law, and that was the law of idolatry. And then another Rabbi Yehuda weighs in and he says, even uh, against blasphemy. Now, anytime you see that concept of even, it means that that law was derived from the previous law. In other words, what we're being told is that Adam was given basically one law, and that through the use of his intellect, that he was to derive other laws from that. Uh, for example, the law of the living animal that you just brought up, Adam. Uh, that law. Also, he quotes that you know that, that Adam was given that law, don't eat the limb of a living animal. Uh, then there's an attachment. He says, even against castration. So all these laws that we have, there are laws that are, okay. Uh, well, you don't have to know God's name to do this as far as a Gentile goes. Now, remember, uh, for a Jewish person, they have to do it with a particular name of God. But for a non Jew, it can be done using any name uh, uh that's used in relationship to God. So you could you could do it that way. Yes, exactly. Uh, and you know, I want to bring these points out, but uh I guess we're gonna to have to kind of enter class at this point, but at least we did get something accomplished. Uh, first of all we accomplished the fact that we uh, we we accomplished the fact that we define what Hesed is we have determined uh, because we juxtaposed two other ideas against it Maybe we've understand those a little bit better too. the idea of Zadaka and the idea of of Mishpat or Mishpatim and then we we found out that we have a universal obligation because if we understand that we're created we automatically should assume that creation is a kindness that god performed for us and because of that now in our service for god we we come into this obligation to serve him and and that service demands that we use our intellect to come to his commandments and perform those commandments and that if we do this then we we'll raise ourselves to the same level as who? To the same level as Avraham was raised, and that we will receive the same favor from God that Avraham received, his protection, his uh, divine guidance within our lives. And and we want to bring those things out too as we go in the class. But that's probably about as far as we're going to get. So try to keep those things in your mind, and God willing, next week, uh, we want to go back to Norid Nekuvim, and look at how how can we figure things out intellectually, and and then to ask the question: What is the greatest level of perfection? Now, if you have more than a if you'll keep reading in that last section of that book that I mentioned, uh, chapter fifty-three, of course, where we read from about the three ideas, the three different words, but then go right on to uh, the next few pages and and read about the the different levels of perfection, at least from Rambam's perspective because we'll be talking about those God willing next week uh, in our study about Hesed okay uh, any other questions or comments before we close out for this evening if... okay well and uh, God willing we'll see whoever's here next week and we'll pick back up in our study on the concept and the idea of Hesed defining it uh, whose obligation it is why are we under that obligation, and how do we perform it? That's really the question that we're going to try to answer and deal with as we continue our study in the concept and idea of Hesit. So God willing, we'll be here the same time next week. See you guys.